All right, everyone. Let's bring this meeting to order. I like the best dad ever shirt. Very nice. It must be true. No one else is wearing one. All right, everyone. So welcome. So if you don't know me, I am Mike. I am the new associate pastor. I am privileged to be sharing with you this morning because yes, indeed, it is Father's Day. And so we are going to continue today our one verse message series where we're every week we're looking at one verse and we're not doing it to cherry pick or take out of context. We'll do a little bit of context today, but we just want to go deep into each of these verses every week and get the absolute most out of them. So today, our one verse comes from the book of 2 Corinthians. And I think it's important that we get a little bit of background because knowing what Corinth was like actually will help us understand and appreciate that one verse a little bit better. So, What's the deal with Corinth? Well, Corinth was actually a city from ancient Greece, and it was completely destroyed by the Romans in 146 BC. We know that about 100 years later, probably Julius Caesar decided, we're going to rebuild this city because it is on a very important piece of land. In fact, you can see here on the map, right here, it's located between these two gulfs, the Gulf of Corinth and the Saronic Gulf. So here's Corinth, very strategic location. And so they decided, yes, as the Roman Empire is growing, we want that city to be back. So the location ensured that it was commercially prosperous. Now, try to imagine this. Let's say that people are trying to get from Denver to Colorado Springs. And so you think, you're very clever, and you think, here's what we're going to do. We're going to build a city along the way where people can get gas. Wait a minute, let me rephrase that. Where people can fuel up. Where people can get fast food, although this morning on the way to church it wasn't fast. Where people can stop and take care of business or walk their dogs. And here's what we'll do. We'll build it along the highway next to an easily recognized landmark. Maybe a big rock that looks like a castle. And we'll build a city there and we'll become prosperous and successful. Right? Same idea. Same idea as what's going on in Corinth. All right? Um, also, because you can see that Corinth was sort of in a hub area, that a church here would have great influence. It could spread outward. And so because of that, Corinth was an extremely important and influential city. Also because of trade and because it was surrounded pretty much by water on the two sides, the two gulfs. It was financially very prosperous. In fact, the most prosperous city in all of ancient Greece. So, you know, being prosperous and being in a good location, there was also a multicultural influence there. So obviously you had a Greek influence, but you had the Roman influence too because it was part of the Roman Empire. And then you also had people who were migrating over from Asia. And so you had an Asian influence as well. So you have prosperity, you have a multicultural city, and then you also had the influence of different belief systems, including mystery religions that were coming in from the East, and these religions actually didn't have the best influence on the area because one of the primary teaching of these religions was that what we do in the body, including immoral behaviors, are inevitable. They're a part of life, and because of that, 
you might as well not even try to do anything about it. So you can see where this was not exactly the best influence. Um, so maybe you're thinking, well, all right, so there's a lot of immorality. It's a very wealthy city. It's kind of at an important strategic location. And maybe you're thinking, that all sounds good, but I'm here to tell you that all of those things combined is not necessarily always a good thing, okay? Maybe you get what I'm talking about, right? Not always the best influence on the culture around it. And that's what was going on in Corinth. We know that Corinthians, 2 Corinthians was written right around 55 or 56 AD, Paul was in Ephesus. He worked there for about three years. He had written the first Corinthians letter, gotten a response, and this letter is his response back to them. And I think all of this historical stuff matters because it's important for us to see the relevance of these ancient writings when we see that the city in which they took place in a lot of ways was very similar to our culture right now. So with all of that, we're going to jump right into the verse. Today's one verse is 2 Corinthians 12, 9. And here it is. We're going to read it together. So please join me. Ready? Here we go. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Okay, that was pretty good, but it's Father's Day, so we want a little bit more enthusiasm. Ready? We're just going to do the first part again, the first half. Here we go. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Thank you very much. Now, let me address the elephant in the room. Uh, sorry, I don't know. Did that offend anyone? Let me address the fact that it is Father's Day. So happy Father's Day to all you dads out there. Congratulations. Now, here's something I've learned in about 30 years of ministry. I've learned one, th well, let's say two things. One is that working with teenagers makes your hair fall out. Two is that, tell me if you agree with this statement. Mother's Day is an entire weekend, but Father's Day is over after lunch. Would you agree with that statement? And the guys are like, that's exactly how we want it. We're going to go home. We're going to grill up some fresh hamburger. And then we're going to put on golf and take a nap, right? It's probably what happens. Certainly don't want to watch hockey today. That's for sure. Not after last night. Oof. All right. Well, we know this to be true. And so fathers, today's message is primarily for you. But women, please do not tune out. And there are a couple of reasons why. Because I think a lot of this is relevant to you. No matter what your age, I think this is relevant. But I also think women, I'm going to be very honest, the men may need some refreshing through the week of what we learned here today. I'm not saying that sometimes men are a little bit dense or a little bit distracted. But there are times when we forget the important lessons that we learn on a Sunday. So right now I see wives in the, in the crowd. And the guys are like, oh, sorry, I was distracted by something. Well, you know, with that in mind, everyone, here we go. 
Okay, now, this is very, very important. Men, and women too, but men, did you ever play a sport in life? Right? Some of you right now, just raise your hand if you ever played a sport. So maybe it was Little League, okay? Maybe when you were in middle school or high school, you picked up a sport. You know, maybe you played, I don't know, basketball, or maybe you played football. Um, for me, when I was in ninth grade, I did do one year of football, but it was just, it was just okay. But, um, but then I found my, my real love, the sport that is my real love, the best sport, the superior sport. And if you have any doubts, read your Bible from cover to cover, and you will find there is only one sport in which God himself participates, ladies and gentlemen, and that is wrestling. It is the only sport because God wrestled with Jacob. And so, therefore, clearly, it's his favorite. Now, the reason I bring this up is because, well, first of all, let me say this. This is a high school wrestler for four years and then a wrestling coach. Wrestling is no fun at all. It's really not fun. Your body's really not built to bend that way. And um, I guess you could call it a character-building experience, maybe, uh, I remember when people would ask us guys on the wrestling team, why do you wrestle? And we would kind of always say, because it feels so good when the season's over. And there's probably some truth to that, like many things in life. But in order to be a successful wrestler, there were things that you needed, but three primary among them were you needed skill, you needed endurance, and you needed strength. And isn't that kind of like being a dad? You need skill. You need the talent. You need endurance. You need to be able to hang in there. And then you need strength. And we're going to focus on strength today, but I don't want to neglect the other ones. Okay, so let's talk about skill for a minute. All right. In wrestling, as in being a dad, skill requires learning. You have to practice and you have to become better. When you are a dad and when you are a husband, it's imperative that you learn from others that you have mentors, you have people who have walked there before you. It takes those people in our lives, let's say coaches, who can teach you the skills necessary, what it means to be a good husband and a good father. Okay, so that's skill. Next, we have endurance. Endurance, also like being a husband and a dad, requires commitment. All right, I can't tell you how many matches I won, particularly early on, like in my 10th grade years when I had just made varsity, where I only won because of the commitment to conditioning. Endurance. You have to be able to go the long haul. And that endurance requires commitment. It requires discipline. And it requires long hours of doing the right thing, even when the conditions are bad. Now, I just so happen to have here in my hands, an illustration of that kind of endurance and commitment in this inter-office memo envelope that I keep with me near and dear to my heart. It looks like only a few people have read the memo. All right, here we go. What do I have in here? Let me put it on the screen so you can see it. All right. This is Sports Illustrated from July the 24th, 1972. And I'm going to prove its authenticity by showing to you the inside cover. It's a Pinto ad. 
Now, ladies and gentlemen, see this green model right here? My family had this Pinto. Mom and dad, are you watching? Do you remember making me sit back in the hatchback? Right on top of the gas tank, ladies and gentlemen. Young people, ask your parents about the Pinto. And then, of course, on the first page, look at that. It's a full-page ad for Hank Aaron congratulating him. How about that? If you don't know who that is, again, ask somebody who's a little bit older. All right, let me put this away because it's kind of an antique and it's not in the best shape. But I'm going to read a story from this magazine. It's on page six about a man in uh, Tampa, Florida named Victor. And here's the thing about Victor. He's a golfer. So men and women, if you like golf, other than just for naps, I love it for naps, but it's so soothing, right? Right after church, you go home, you just preached a couple of services and you just, oh, it's the best. But this is a golf story and it's going to illustrate commitment. Here we go. Victor was going quite well after a few holes at the course at Rocky Point. This is a golf course in Tampa, really close to the bay. Suddenly, pain gripped his chest and he doubled over. His partner suggested that he go back to the clubhouse. I was playing too good to quit, he said, so I hit myself in the gut and the pain went away. I kept on. The pain came back, but between pars, he slapped at himself some more. He shot 37 on the first nine and was not about to quit. A friend gave him a Coke and some Rolaids. There you go. I began to feel better, he recalls, but soon the pain returned again. This time, it was in my arm. He putted for birdies on the last three holes, making one on the 18th green for a 74. Then he all but fell down in a faint. He was rushed home and from there to a hospital where he was given emergency treatment for the heart attack that he had been having. He was hospitalized for three weeks and is now, at the time of this writing, convalescing. The incident taught him a lesson. Victor said, are you ready for the big life lesson? Victor said, that pain in my arm was one reason I was hitting my long iron so straight. It made me shorten my swing. That's a life lesson, ladies and gentlemen. But it's not the only lesson that we can gain from that story. There are actually a couple of interesting things, okay? Before I give you those interesting lessons, let me just share with you that that man is my grandfather. <laughs> he is, and in fact, my middle name is Victor. Now, what Victor taught us was not only about the benefits of having a heart attack through almost an entire round of golf, but also that we stay committed even through pain and difficulty. We endure because we are committed. And this, my friends, is something critical to being a husband and a father. So today, I want to focus on that third necessity of being a dad, just like being a wrestler, and that is strength. Because strength requires working out. And let's face it, that's not a lot of fun. Some of you in here probably would dishonestly raise your hand and say you enjoy working out. No, I'm just kidding. Maybe some of you really do. I can't stand it. 
but it is a necessity to keep my blood sugar under control, to keep my mental health at a state where it is, let's just say, acceptable. Um, I have to. I have to exercise. I have to get on that elliptical machine, even though I do not like it. But working out is necessary. So we're going to talk about being a strong dad. Or if you're not a dad, or maybe not a dad yet, being a strong person. Because I think it means a few things. We're going to look at three. First, if you work out, you know that it requires repetition. Repeating what's beneficial, and we call that consistency. All right? Being a strong dad. A strong dad is reliably consistent as a husband and a father. Now, consistency is a funny thing. So I've been doing youth ministry in one form or another for over 30 years, which is hard to believe because I'm only 28. But it's true. As a little minister humor. It's not a lie. It's, a, it's embellishment. All right. Well, the truth is that in those years, I have found that one of the most difficult parts of working with teenagers is finding volunteers who are willing to come alongside and coach and mentor these young people. Now, I ask, why? Why is it so difficult? Because this, of course, is my passion. I love doing it. Why is it so difficult? And what I've heard over and over through the years is that people say, I'm afraid. I'm afraid to work with teenagers because I'm not cool. And so I stand before them. And I ask, do you really think being cool is the secret to youth ministry? Because I am not cool, all right? But I do know this. The minute that you graduate high school, you can't be cool to a high schooler anymore. And that's more true now than it ever was, okay? Things become irrelevant instantaneously in our culture. But here's what I know. Rather than trying to pretend to be cool, which teenagers will see through immediately because they have the best BS meters, right? All right. BS means Bible story if that offended you. All right. But... What really matters is that you love them and you are consistent. You show up for them. And if you do that, they will listen to you. They may not always clue you in that they're paying attention, but they will listen to what you have to say because you demonstrate consistency. And unfortunately, for probably about half of the teenagers in our country, they just don't have a good demonstration of that consistency. So dads... Remember that a strong dad is reliably consistent as a husband and a father. Now let's go back to that weight training thing. When you're weight training, muscles, you know how it works, right? When you lift weights, what happens? Your muscles start to form small tears. And then they heal back stronger. All right? That means that always there will be pain involved. Now, when it comes to being a dad, that pain typically looks like a strong dad setting healthy boundaries and standing firm. Now, dads and moms, let's be honest, we want our kids to like us, right? We want our kids to be our friends. In fact, I don't remember this as a child, but I do observe now as, as I see people who work with small children what do we always call our kids? Buddy. Hey, buddy. How are you doing, buddy? 
And I think there's some subliminal meaning to that because wasn't Buddy the name of the Chucky doll? Was that right? Maybe not. I don't, I think so. But anyway, um, but you know, listen, you will have your entire life once your son or daughter is an adult to be friends with them. But right now, while their kid's living at home, please don't be their friend. If they like you, great. It's a perk. They probably won't tomorrow. It's okay. It's all right. Set those boundaries and stand firm. One of the conversations that I remember vividly, this was at a couple churches ago where I worked, we were having a discussion with the high school ministry and we were talking about parents and family systems. And one of the students who was, she was pretty shy. She didn't talk a lot, um, came from a rough family situation. I remember though distinctly one of the comments that she made during that discussion was, I wish I had a dad who would set good, strong rules for me. And I think that says a lot. So if you're here and you're a teenager and you complain a lot because your parents are too strict or they set rules, number one, it's, it's not as bad as you think. And number two, remember that they're doing it because they love you. And dads, when you do, and moms too, but when you do this, what you're really doing is not just helping your sons and daughters right now, by helping them develop a sense of right and wrong and understanding, but also you're helping them in the future as they become parents themselves and they learn to start setting boundaries. So don't hesitate because of the pain. Just like working out, being a dad, it can be painful. So we have consistency, we have some pain. And then finally, a truly strong dad knows that he can't do it alone. If you're involved in intense weight training and you're using free weights, now I'm not talking about these fancy machines that kind of do the spotting for you, but if you're doing free weights, you know that you need a spotter, right? You need at least one other person there to help you. And I want to challenge you, if you are a dad, that true strength means understanding that you need God's strength to succeed. God's given you the power to make decisions in your life. Let him be your spotter. Let him give you the strength to succeed. And this is where we're going to look at the full message of today's one verse. Let's get into the context just a little bit here. Okay, so here's the verse in context. We're going to start with the second half of verse 7. And the Apostle Paul writes, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Now this has kind of become a famous saying, right? That guy's really a thorn in my side, right? And Theologians and historians have debated what was Paul referring to here? What was he saying? What was the thorn in his side? And we really don't have any way of knowing. If there was a consensus, many people believe it's that Paul suffered from bad eyesight and he was what we would call today maybe legally blind. We get the, some clues from this because there are places in some of his letters where he, makes sta- he, he would dictate the letters. And then there are places where he says, see what large letters I use to write this with my own hand. So that's sort of a clue. And we kind of go back to when, remember when Paul was still Saul and he was going to Damascus and Jesus kind of zaps him 
and he's blinded and he falls to the ground and then the scales fall from his eyes. Um, we, you know, we kind of think that maybe that had something to do with it, but there's no way we can know for sure. There are, however, some things that we definitely can get from this passage. We see that Paul, who is a very gifted human being, very gifted, talented, a good leader, we know that he struggled with being conceited. He struggled with pride. So, my friends, I have to ask, do we share this with the apostle? Do we ever have instances where we somehow believe that I'm clever enough, I'm smart enough, I'm strong enough to get this done on my own, just me? If we're honest, we probably do. I confess that I do. We also learn from these verses that sometimes God allows us to struggle. Sometimes for a long time. Sometimes like Paul, for the rest of life on earth. We have this struggle. God allows us to go through that because he understands that going through these struggles will help us bring a greater good for his purpose. What I mean by that is that when we go through difficult times sometimes, the strength that it builds up in that, well, that helps us to be better servants for him. It's much like what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 5 where he, he tells us that God builds our struggles so that that builds our perseverance, which leads to built character, which leads to hope. So that's great. Please don't let anyone ever tell you that being a Christian means that you will have earthly prosperity, that you will have success by the world standards, that you will have every day happy and carefree because scripture never promises us that. And if you're ever promised that, someone is trying to sell you something. I guarantee it. So don't buy into that. God never promised us that life as a believer would be easy. In fact, Jesus said the opposite. He said, persecutions will probably come, but, but in the end, we will have that true joy. So let's move to the next part. Now, here's our one verse. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. And then if you read the next verse, you see that is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, I will confess to you, this is not a fun verse. It's not easy. I will confess to you that sometimes the idea of weakness, I struggle with that. I wrestle with that. See what I did there? I wrestle with that. Some days I wake up defeated and downcast and lonely and depressed. And I think, God, yes, I know your grace is sufficient for me, but can I have one day off of the character building experience, please? And it's a struggle. But Paul went through those same struggles. Why should I think that for me it will be any different? And let me ask, honestly, do you have those mornings that you wake up like that? No matter what your thorn is, do you have those days? Dads, do you have those days when you think, I'm at my wit's end. It's too hard. The pain is too great. But this is what I encourage you as well as me to remember. 
that his power, God's power, is made perfect in my weakness. And you might say, well, Mike, I don't know. That sounds like some spiritual psychobabble. What are you talking about? His power is made perfect in my weakness? What does that mean? I think maybe it means that not only for my own good, but for the good of those whom I father and for the glory of God, God is protecting me from falling into the trap of pride and self-sufficiency. Because I can tell you this, I can't say it about you, but I can say it about myself because I know myself. And that is when I fall into the trap of self-sufficiency, things generally ain't gonna work out so well. When I try to do things under my own power, with my own cleverness, that truthfully, it's not gonna work out the way that God wants it to work out. But when I trust in him, when I rely on his word, when I make the choices that are right, even though they're difficult, then I realize that in my weakness, he becomes strong. I pray all of this makes sense because I know it isn't easy. If it seems like like living under God's power, not my own power, that seems next to impossible. I have good news for you. You're in the right place because we're all co-strugglers. We all wrestle with this, with giving God the control. So remember that you are not alone. And I'll conclude with this. Now it's Father's Day and you may be thinking, well, Mike, I, I, do you have any kids? I don't have any kids of my own, allegedly. I have to, I have to add that. It's, just, it's like a required joke for a guy with no kids. All right. No, I don't have any kids of my own. But I have been kind of a dad to roughly 3,000 kids, students over the years. And I've learned that raising kids will always involve those things that we discussed. Being consistent as a role model, dealing with that pain as a mentor, and most of all, it requires relying on God's strength. So dads, and really all of us, here's what I think relying on God's strength looks like, practically speaking. First of all, it means trusting in him. And trust is kind of this nebulous, strange word, but I think what trusting God means is that we do what he says to do, even if it doesn't feel right to us. That's trusting him. I think also we have to seek God every day by setting aside time to read and study his word. We have to stay connected to his power source through prayer because much like the electronics we love so much, the batteries only last so long. You've got to stay plugged in. And then finally, I think we have to acknowledge, hey, I cannot do this under my own power. But along with that, we acknowledge that in my weakness, he is strong. So today, as I close, I want to say, strong dads out there, kids, wives, people who support you, and even those of you who maybe aren't dads and maybe never will be, listen, this applies to all of us. Our strength is in him. And he is strong in our weakness. 
All right, let me close us in prayer. Father God, give us the courage to trust you. We ask that you give us the strength to rely on you instead of our own cleverness and our own means. God, I pray that you would help us to remember that every time we wake up feeling that thorn in our side, that in our weakness, you are strong. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.